Welcome to Food Chat, a weekly show that's all about food production, including farming, ranching, processing, and basically all things involved in getting food from the field to your plate. Now, let's get you reconnected to your food, and here are your hosts, Greg Bloom and Chef Jackson Lamb. Talk about an uphill battle, 2,000 acres of beans and cattle, but he don't ever get rattled. He just goes till the sun goes down. Hydraulic fluid on his cheek. Hey, this is Greg Bloom. Welcome to Food Chat. Food Chat is all about food production, where food comes from, and how food gets prepared. Basically, everything that's involved from getting food from the farm or the ranch to the plate. And today I have a special guest, a friend of mine from Oahu, Rob McDaniel. And he's been a chef for a long time in Oahu. And uh, hey, Rob, Rob, welcome to the show. Well, hey, Greg. Thank you. Thanks for giving me this opportunity. Great, great. No, I'm I'm glad you're on. And um, I'm in Hawaii this week, and I thought I'd just reconnect with you and ask you about, uh, you know, trends in Hawaii, food trends, and then where uh, people from uh, Colorado or the mainland uh, come into Oahu where they can find the best food and all that. And uh, I'm just going to ask you about the local food scene here and some foods that are popular. But before we get into that, Rob, would you uh, – share with the listeners here just a little bit about yourself. I mean, how'd you get into the food business? How'd you get to become a chef and a little bit about, you know, just your background? Well, I'll start out in Iowa. I was just a kid and I needed a summertime job and I ended up at a place with car hops that hung the trays on the window, making milkshakes and fried chicken and burgers. And I was 13 and 14 those summers um, when I started. And just from there, just kept going on and on. And at 18, I got my first restaurant dumped in my lap. Um, it was steak and seafood seven nights a week in the basement of a hotel. Wow. That's good. Go ahead, Rob. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Um, after that, you know, I really was just, I was just hooked with good food, you know, I prime rib and crab legs and this and that. So I went to work with some, um, German chefs at a very large place in, uh, it was actually Bettendorf, Iowa. And it was half German, half international cuisine. And I learned just so much stuff. I started out being like a saucier and stuff there um, and just learned all about like depth of flavor and making bone broths and all that kind of stuff that just really make food have real flavor instead of it just coming out of a package. Wow. What a, what a great background. When you were, when you were learning the trade, Rob, did you have any like mentors or people that took you underneath their arm and kind of showed you the way? Did you have one main one or several people? How did, how did you learn the skill, the art? Well, the, there was there were two German chefs. I don't remember the last names. They were both named Peter um, that ran this place. It was Jumer's Castle Lodge, and we had huge banquet facilities and all that kind of stuff, um, ice carvings we did in the freezer and all that. But I had one chef, Ruggiero Gadaldi, um, in San Francisco. He was an Italian guy, and he really taught me a lot about food balance on the plate and, you know, how to coordinate flavors and stuff. I was a young sous chef at the time, but... He really took me under his wing, and I just I learned so much about European food, especially Italian food from him. It just, you know, his depth of knowledge was fantastic. And when you were, you know, working with the two German Peters, did you know then that you were going to spend your career uh, in the food industry and being a chef, or was it kind of just uh, a temporary job at the time, or what was your, did you have like, like how did that all work out? Um, I was pretty much hooked by then. Um <laughs> Like I said, I got a I got a small restaurant kind of dumped in my lap before I went to work with them, and then 
from there, I was just, I could just see like how much joy it brings to people, you know, like, you know, the, basically the breaking of bread when everybody gets together and they sit down and they eat together. And that's just like, I was just hooked. You know, I, I see how happy everybody is in, in the dining room and, you know, just how much it just brings families together. And I just, I couldn't, I can't do anything else. I've, I've tried breaking out of the business a little bit, but I always come back to being a chef. Yeah, it does get in your blood, and I I I agree. I'm the I've been in the the food industry for 30 plus years, and I just enjoy the creativity. I enjoy the uh, the experience of the art. I mean, there's a lot of great arts out there, and uh, I love them all. But the arts I like the most are the culinary arts because they're uh, they're so tangible and practical. Uh, hey, Rob, so tell us how did you get from Iowa to Hawaii? Um, just kind of on a fluke. Um, actually the family used to take vacations here. And then I was just like, um, Iowa is just, it's Iowa. It's great, but it didn't have enough of a food scene there for me at the time. And I had the opportunity to move here at that time. And so I came here and then I got a, I started running a restaurant right on Waikiki beach. Well, that's a, that's a, what a bustling, what a, what a difference to go from Iowa, which is mostly rural. I mean, even the big cities in Iowa aren't that big to, to, uh, Waikiki, which is probably more visitors than any beach in the world. I mean, what a, what a drastic change in the international scene. And then, uh, did you, did you like moving to Hawaii? Was there like a cultural adjustment or was it, was it, were you happy right out of the gate that you were here? I, you know, there was a little bit of a cultural adjustment, but, you know, being in Waikiki, it wasn't really like that because there were so, Hawaii is fantastic because it has so many different cultures, you know, uh, and again, to tie it back to food, it's all in the food, it's all in the culture. And, you know, moving to Hawaii back then, there were a little bit of cultural adjustments, but really everybody in Hawaii was so welcoming and, you know, so open to you know, just family that it just, it really made me feel at home right away. I love Hawaii. I have been here. I don't know. I, I don't even know how many times I'd have to stop and really think about it, but over maybe over 20 times, um, I learned uh, a long time ago that when I go to Japan and I used to live there, I could stop in Hawaii for free on the way and do a layover. So I just loved Hawaii and I love the food scene here. And let's talk about the food scene in Hawaii because it's very unique in the respect that you have authentic food from Asian cultures, great Chinese food, Korean food, Japanese food, local native Hawaiian food. Um, you know, I wanted to ask you about some specifically and then we can talk about other ones. But, uh, you know, like, for example, poke bowls. People in on the mainland know about poke bowls because probably five or six years ago, maybe a little before that in Los Angeles and on the coast, poke bowl restaurants started popping up and now they're everywhere. They're on the interior of the States too. And uh, so t tell us about poke bowls and, and how did, how did those get started? Um, well, yeah, I hate to say poke was kind of a byproduct or almost an afterthought in my opinion. Um, love the stuff, but it was kind of like, what do I do with this little small cut of fish? You know, I've got these really nice, steaks that I'm grilling off or whatever and so they just started yeah, chopping them up and mixing them with some sea salt and then you know they added in some seaweed or some nori or whatever and everybody everybody's got their favorite style over here for me I like just a little bit of sesame seed oil and a little bit of shoyu on it and it's just delicious 
Yeah, it is delicious because, especially here in Hawaii, the fish is so fresh. Uh, you know, I don't know if that fish has ever been frozen. doesn't taste like it, but they just are so flavorful, just with what you said, just a couple things on top. And uh, I've also noticed, you know, Rob, I met you, I think, in 2013. 2013, I was working in Hawaii, um, working with a food distributor, and then I met you. And uh, you were the uh, the chef, I believe, at the time at Macy's. And then one thing I noticed that year, Rob, was how popular beef ribeyes are in Hawaii. I mean, they're everywhere. I mean, they're just like the dominant thing at, at restaurants. And Hawaiians love ribeyes. How, how did that get started? Well, in my opinion, because it's the best steak. But um, <laughs> right, it I, is. I, it I, is. I, I, I'm born and raised in the Midwest, so I I grew up with. You know, we actually used to butcher cows with with friends and family. Um, but yeah, the ribeye just—it's just the marbling in it. You know, it's the—you got beautiful marbling, and then you've got just this delicious meat. And just—I mean, it—it it takes salt, pepper, and a grill to make just fantastic steak. And uh, fillets are great in their own right, but a ribeye has just got that depth of flavor again that that I'm always looking for in my kind of food. Yeah, I mean, I like fillets, uh, but not as much as ribeyes. Fillets are kind of tasteless compared to the flavor in a ribeye. Uh, and most fillets, gosh, you go, most chains, they, they'll they put some sauce on a tenderloin fillet to keep it uh, moist or more likely to give it some flavor because it's got great mouthfeel, it's tender. But there's nothing like the ribeye, especially the cap of the ribeye, that spinalis, that outside edge uh, and uh there's just nothing like it. And then also I've noticed, Rob, uh, short ribs, super popular here. Um, is that maybe because of the all the Korean barbecues influence? Or what do, what do you know about the history of short ribs in Hawaii? Um, I don't know a lot about the history, per se, of, of short ribs in Hawaii. Uh, the Kalbi-type um, ribs where they take the, you know, the bone in, they slice them at three-eighths of an inch, and you grill them again. It's almost like a ribeye because you got that really nice fat in there um, that gives them flavor. But because they're, you know, not a super tender piece of meat, you know, they people tend to cut them thin. Um, I really like them if you cut them like an inch, inch and a half thick, um, and slow braise them, which a lot of people mm-hmm. have been doing lately. Um, you know, like a dark beer braise, a bunch of herbs or something, or a Heffenweizen or a red wine or. There's a lot of different ways of braising them, but, you know, I think it started out with it kind of being one of the lesser cuts of meat, so it was more affordable. So when you're feeding a big family, you know, you can get this meat that's, you know, it's really good red meat. It's just a little bit tough, so you got to figure out a way to make it tender. Right. Yeah, that is true, Rob. I, I've talked to chefs earlier in my career, and they told me that short ribs used to be a very inexpensive, almost a throwaway item. And then they got popular. One reason they got popular is because the United States figured out that the Koreans in South Korea love short ribs. And so they almost all get exported over there. And that drives the price up here in the United States. Uh, so instead of a dollar or two, now you're paying four, five, six, seven, whatever, crazy money for short ribs. But they are they are delicious when they're cooked right. Um, what about... Uh, what about uh, so people from Colorado are known to love going to Hawaii, especially Oahu, because there's a nonstop every day from Denver, leaves around 11 o'clock, you get to Hawaii by 3:30, nonstop, and uh, you can be at the beach for dinner. So there's a lot of tourists from Colorado, not they're not all from Colorado. I'm sure a lot of them just go through Denver, but that daily nonstop on United is awesome. 
and uh, now the Southwest flights are too so easy to get to Oahu. So they come here, Rob, and they really shouldn't be going to the chain accounts. There's nothing wrong with the chain accounts. God bless them. But when I hear people just ate every day at the Cheesecake Factory, I'm like, oh, why didn't you go support some local chef or some local family that's got some great ethnic food? So where where can people from the mainland uh, that don't know the food scene here, where do you think, how do they go about finding some of the best foods on the island? Well, you know, actually one of my go-tos is Yelp. Um, even still, like uh, I'll sit around, I try, you know, we go out usually, my wife and I usually go out every Saturday for lunch and or dinner um, to try and support local. And I'm still always looking for food. You know, it's maybe it's Hawaiian, maybe it's Japanese. Um, there's actually some pretty good Mexican food over here now. Um, I lived in California for years, so it, for years over here it was hard to find. But there's really some good stuff like that. So look for, you know, I tell people, uh, my friends that come over here and stuff, I recommend places, but I also like look on Yelp, look for the local reviews. You know, the people who are, are reviewing a ton of restaurants over here are a lot of times good. If you want a, a really good banh mi or, you know, if you want a, a great Greek lamb Slovakia or something, it's a it's a great source, actually. You know, I'm, I, it's not cheating, but it's just a really great way to get insight into what the locals like over here. And they're going to tell you the places that are, you know, hit and miss or that are just spot on every time. Yeah, I use Yelp too when I travel. Even in Denver, I I use Yelp uh, if I'm not familiar with an area and I want to know what the local food seems like. And so, yeah, I do that here too. So I was in, um, I'm in Waikiki now, and I was yesterday looking for some good, authentic Japanese ramen, and I went to Yelp, and Yelp had a listing of five high-quality, you know, rated high uh, uh, ramen restaurants, and gosh, one of them was a three-minute walk from where I'm staying, so I walked over there. And uh, it was, uh, let's see, it's uh, Komodo, Komodo ramen, you know, like the Komodo dragon. Wow. And, you know, inside all uh, people speaking, all the people working there were speaking Japanese. I could tell the chef back there working the counter making the ramen was from Japan because I could hear him talking Japanese. And, uh, wow, what a great $15 meal I had. This just that deep broth that they make from pork bones and takes them all night to make that broth and then it was just phenomenal just like eating in tokyo where i used to live so um it does work to use yelp and uh there's some great what what other tips would you have people or even you can talk about some of the i guess i'll just ask you what are some of your favorite restaurants in in waikiki and then and then even other places that people could get to well actually i don't get to waikiki too often it's kind of like anywhere else i lived in san francisco i never got to fisherman's wharf or you know (laughs) you live in seattle you know you you just kind of don't get there unless you got friends there Uh, or unless you're doing like a corporate company thing or something like that um i tell people you know get out of waikiki look for the little hole in the wall places you know the little mom and pops i mean we got places I, i live in kalihi and we've got little places there that do phenomenal food you know, like I said, it doesn't matter if it's it's Thai or if you're, you know, looking for Mexican food or this or that. Just kind of, you know, get out and explore a little bit more, you know, because, again, it is very ethnic. And, you know, I, you go in there, like you said, and they're speaking Thai or they're speaking Spanish or, they're, you know, it's like, and that that's what I like to hear because that's how I know that these people are, are really in touch with, you know, their culture which, you know, brings it all back to everybody's culture kind of revolves around food and family. 
Yeah, yeah, I know uh, what you're saying about get off the beaten path. So, you know, the main street that goes parallel to the beach in uh, Waikiki, I forget the name of that street, but uh, that's the street where all the chains are on and a lot of the big hotels. But uh, there's probably some good food there. But if you just walk towards the canal, I don't know which direction that would be because I'm all mixed up over here. But between the beach and the canal, all those uh, side streets have uh, all those small little restaurants. Some are upstairs. Some are down a little alley. Um, they're all little nooks. They're not. They're not fancy, but inside they're very clean, and that's that's where I find some great food here in Waikiki. What about other places uh, on the island that uh, you'd recommend? Um, I mean, there's there's phenomenal food all over this island. It doesn't matter. You know, you just gotta kind of look for what what you want in food. If you want to go to the North Shore or get you know garlic shrimp or something, part of it is the experience too. You know, if you're eating outdoor and you're peeling the shrimp and stuff, God, they taste really good. Um, yeah. But, you know, if you want to sit down at a nice Japanese economy Aki place, there's great ones at Waikiki and stuff, too. Um, actually, one of my favorites, I hope it's still there, is in Royal Hawaiian. Uh, a really good economy Aki. Um, but, you know, kind of explore, you know, because there's you're always going to find something good if you – just go in and start talking story with people. And that's something in Hawaii that, that we sit down and do a lot is we, we call it talk story and just have a little conversation, kind of like you and I are doing now, about, well, what do you like? Well, what do you want to see, you know? Um, but, yeah, there's so many good food places all over this island. Yeah, it really is a wonderful place to enjoy some international food that you can't get in the mainland because you don't have native uh, Asian speakers and native chefs from really all over the world here uh you know who doesn't like going to hawaii it's just a very beautiful place attracts a lot of a lot of people let's talk rob since you've been involved with food production your whole career um you know there's a lot of shortcuts that get taken like that you know i don't know um if they've always taken shortcuts but you go to some restaurants now rob and they don't make the soup anymore they don't really make the sauce anymore everything comes from the distributor already pre-made so can can you speak a little bit about you know like how how food quality you know gets there and how would the consumer know if the food is like authentic made from scratch or or not how any any tips you can give us or any comments you have about how food quality has changed over your career um i would say you know all in all food quality the Food safety has definitely improved over the years um, because of the training and all that kind of stuff. But food quality for me is, again, going back to, like, the depth of flavor, like you were talking about the broths and all that kind of stuff. And you're going to find that more at the mom and pops. The chains don't really have the time. It's a, it's a matter of staffing, you know, and personnel with their, with their depth of knowledge on, on how to actually – make a good stock and make a and turn that into a demi you know um they they just people aren't trained in that they're trained in just producing food and trying to get it out the door um because it's kind of it's sad but it's a numbers game you know restaurants it's a very tight tight margin so they found that i hate to say shortcuts with using a, a beef base or something which we've always used um but they don't take the time to get the bones and roast them and get those into it and actually make a good stock. Um, the same thing, you know, uh, there's so many good products out there that are straight out of the box into the fryer. 
And that's what a lot of people know and are used to. But when you hand bread onion rings, they're so much better, you know. So it just it's it's a lack of training and it's a lack of time and money to train people. I think is a, a large portion of it. Just like most of the industries are kind of struggling now with staffing. Yeah, Chef Jackson and I were talking on last week's food chat show too about the fact that uh, the food uh, culinary training centers uh, around the mainland, Colorado, they're all gone. The the Johnson and Wales campus in Denver closed. Uh, the uh, chef networks that used to have chef competitions and stuff are kind of struggling now to stay going. And so it's just a different than it used to be 20 or 30 years ago. And we're not quite sure, you know, um, exactly why. But one hypothesis Jackson had, Chef Jackson had, was, well, you know, there's the dominance of the chains now. The chains don't really want you to come into their chain and be creative and do all this great you know, creative new kind of recipe development, they already have it dialed in and you're just going to follow what they want and what they've figured out and what's productive and what they make them money, you know, so they're buying, you know, they're buying a lot of their stuff pre-made, delivered from their distributor because it's more efficient and they can control their food costs and measure their stuff. So that that's one reason um, is just because of the dominance of the chain, which is why in Colorado we really try to get people to promote and go to and patronize the locally owned places, which I would say the same for for Hawaii, you know. Another thing I told Chef Jackson last week, Rob, was that um, it just costs so much to go to culinary school anymore. If you're going to spend $200,000 going to one of those, up, you know, you know, very prestigious pre- culinary schools, gosh, you're never going to make, make enough money to pay that back. It's just unrealistic. So you really have to get – I asked Chef Jackson last week this question, Rob, and I'll ask you the same question. If someone's listening that – wants to move to Hawaii, they're in their 20s, they love food, and they want to learn to be a chef, and they want to live in Hawaii, what would be the best way for them to get trained once they get here, do you think? Well, there's actually quite a few still really good chefs over here. Um, Way back in the day, a lot of the European chefs came over here, um, and they brought the scene over here. Um, Put your head down, work hard, pay attention to what's going on around you. a lot of my skills I learned not by being taught. I learned by observing. Um, you know, always watch the guy who's sautéing next to you, the guy who's next to you on the grill or what, because you're going to pick up skills from him. You know, the guy who's been doing it for 10 years in the same place, he's got bad skills. But, yeah, hook up with some of the, the better chefs over here. Yeah, that's a good tip. And uh, don't be afraid to start at the bottom either. I was at a chef meeting last week in Denver, and – the chef, executive chef, actually he's cooked meals for the Queen of England and many royal people around the world. And he said, hey, don't be afraid to start as a dishwasher. You can learn a lot as a dishwasher. In fact, the dishwasher is the most important person in the kitchen because if the dishes aren't cleaned and kept uh, up with, then the whole kitchen will fall apart. So, uh, But even as a dishwasher, there's a lot of things you can learn and uh, you, know, you can work your way up from there. In fact, one of the guys at the meeting had worked his way up uh, from a dishwasher and now is one of the top chefs in the state of Washington. And so I think, uh, you know, people don't be afraid to get your hands in the, in the, in the dishwater. <laughs> well, Hey Rob, um, I'm just going to wrap up with this last question to you and then we'll, we're already out of time, but, uh, you know, what do you, you've stayed in this for, you know, your whole career, you know, why, what, 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 why do you do what you do and what do you like about what you do in the food business? I mean, it's my passion, you know. Um, I I look at it as 
like my art. You know, I now looking back over all the years, and it, it kind of started out as a job, uh, but then when I see how much you know it brings people together, you know, from different cultures, from different families, you know, it just there's this satisfaction with making people happy, you know, with something that they have to have. I mean, everybody's got to eat, right? So when they get good food, it's just that that nod of the guy when he takes the first bite off of his steak and he realizes, yeah, it's a perfect mid-rare, you know, or it's it's just even even to the, the cocktail side of it that pairs with it or the wine side of it that pairs with food, um, there's just this, this satisfaction that I get from training going back to the dishwasher, training my dishwashers up to be prep cooks and then to be line cooks, you know, or, or the pasta cook or, or it's just there's a, a, a satisfaction and a, a family feel that's in the kitchen that the people who you're working with that you see as much as you see your family are your family. And so it's just it's a camaraderie that's just unmatched, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree with you. The culture in a in a in the food industry is very familial, and you, you probably don't get that working in you know. No disrespect to people who work in a cube or work for a big you know tech company. We need those people to do what they do so we can all enjoy the quality of life that we live. But in terms of satisfaction, it's just a very satisfying experience to work uh, and and have a career in the in the food business with that family kind of culture. You're right. You're right. Well. Hey, Rob, we're out of time. I really appreciate you uh, coming on, and uh, mahalo, as they say here in Hawaii, and uh, I hope that uh, everyone listening gets to come to Oahu soon, and now it's a great time to come. Rob, I was, you know, talking to the Uber driver on the way from the airport uh, here to Waikiki a few days ago when I arrived, and he, I asked him, is everybody back? He said, well, not everybody, but what do you what do you know? Well, I guess we have one more minute here. What do you know about uh, the tourists back back?" Uh, on the island from, from where are they coming from and what, what we got left to, to really open up? Well, you know, as far as the tourists coming back, you know, a lot of them are back. Um, you know, where I'm working now, our numbers are pretty good. Uh, we expect them to be worse because this is a slow time of the year. Mm-hmm. But Australia, um, New Zealand and stuff, they're coming back. We don't have the, the Asia market back yet. Um, I'm hearing and seeing some, but not as much as like we used to have. But that's going to open up here shortly. So, yeah, if people want to get to the islands, it's a great time now. Um, the tourist attractions are, you know, all open. We're all open up out here. And, uh, you know, there's less people. So the occupancy is down a little bit. I know the neighbor islands, the occupancy is up a little bit more than it was before. But right now, Oahu is a great destination place. Yeah, I agree just being here uh, since uh, Saturday, Rob. Now is a really good time for people from the mainland to get here because the the it's not as crowded as it's normally going to be. It's probably going to fill back up after the new year because probably most of the, our Asian uh, friends that come to Hawaii are booking two, three months in advance. But it's a really good time to come here right now because everything's open and you don't have to wear a mask anymore and there's no more huge check-in at the airport to get here to show your proof of vaccination and all that stuff. So it's just like it used to be pre-COVID, although... The crowds are 50% of what they used to be, so I think it's a great time to come. But anyway, hey, Rob, we're out of time. So good talking to you. Hope to run into you again soon. Take care. Okay, well, thank you, Greg. Um, Always great talking to you, and hopefully we can get together soon and have a steak. Great. Look forward to it. Here's to the farmer, the 
the plants, the fields in the spring that turn from green to that harvest honey. Hold one up for the banker downtown that got him on his feet with handshake of money. Here's to the farmer's wife that loves him every The views and opinions expressed on KLZ 560 are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect those of Crawford Broadcasting, the station, management, employees, associates, or advertisers. KLZ 560 is a Crawford Broadcasting God and Country station.